In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27. David is tired of running away from Saul, who is pursuing him with a murderous intent. He decides to seek refuge among the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. He and his men settle in Ziklag, a town given to him by Achish, the king of Gath. David pretends to be loyal to Achish, but he secretly raids the neighboring tribes and kills everyone in them. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, June 6th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. We give thanks to God for the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions help support Thy Strong Word. LHF is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages. You can learn more about what they do at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, to help us explore 1 Samuel chapter 27, please join me in welcoming my guest, a regular contributor to the show, the Reverend Kevin Parvis, pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Parvis, welcome back to the program. Hello, Pastor Boy. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, better than I deserve, as they say. I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, exciting uh, going through First uh, Samuel. Uh, you know, we're we're getting farther and farther into you know the story of David as he is uh, continuing to be formed by God into the king that he has been anointed to be. Uh, today's text, though, is a little interesting because, well. He's 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 hiding out among the enemies. Uh, so I look forward to hearing um, uh, your take on all of this. Uh, before we dive in, though, I would love it if you would start us off in prayer, brother. Sure, let's pray. Abba Father, thank you for this day. And wherever we are, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would cool us and renew us and fill us, that we would understand and uh, study your word with the knowledge of the things that you want us to learn. Give us joy in Yeshua, in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, uh, help us out a little bit, right? So David has spared Saul's life in our previous chapter, what we talked about yesterday, but David's not convinced that he is going to be spared if Saul gets the chance. Um, Take us a little bit backward uh, catch us up. Where have we been so that we can uh, set the stage for where we're talking about today? Well, apparently Saul has become a madman. And, you know, it's so bizarre. He keeps, he keeps going after David, and David keeps sparing his life. And in the previous chapter, of course, David snuck into his camp, stole the water jar and the spear from right near his head, and then basically yelled out into the darkness, this is what I did. And Saul said, oh, you spared my life. I love you, my son. I'm never going to come after you again. Everything is kosher. Um, but, you know, of course, David knows Saul's temperament, I guess. I, I think what happens here in 27, and you just did a nice summary of it, but is that David, you know, the enemy, uh, who is Satan, of course, is is discouraging him. It's planting these seeds of discouragement and depression and doubt in his mind. Because, you know, it opens up with David said in his heart. So he's thinking these things to himself. And how many of us haven't gone through tough times and realized, man, this is just going to keep going. And I'm so, you know, and, and we get discouraged. And, and we don't, and we're David, who is a man after God's own heart, um, often pleased to the Lord, knows he is the Lord's anointed, as well as Saul, which really gives, speaks to David's character of not taking Saul's life. Um, and yet, you know, how many of us who know the goodness of the Lord, who, who live in his grace, and yet sometimes we get so discouraged, we just don't think he's listening to us. And I get the sense that's where David is right now. Right. I mean, you know, David seems to be doubting that the Lord is going to protect him, at least in this instance. And as you say, that's really the the enemy whispering these doubts into his ears. Because in in verse 20—I'm sorry, pardon me, chapter 26, uh, we ended with, you know, Saul telling David, 
blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. Uh, but then, of course, it ends with them going their separate ways. Our text yeah. begins this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. But it says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, and he and his men, and every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow, or Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So, so yeah, he, he, he spares Saul's life. Saul is all like, oh, you're my son. You're going to do so many great things. But it says, David says in his heart, one day this guy's going to kill me. I'm going to perish. I need to go to the land of the Philistines. But, but why would he feel like he has safety in the land of the Philistines? Isn't he, isn't he the one responsible for killing their, their champion Goliath? I mean, surely they'd be seeking to kill him too. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre that he chooses Gath to go to, but now he's coming with 600 men. True, true. He's bringing yeah, so. a, a minor army with him. Yeah, and the king, you know, the king of the Philistines, whereas uh, David had to, you know, pretend to be mad to escape the last time, the king of the Philistines seems willing to take him in. But it's just, it, what really floors me is that in David's depression, he goes to this godless nation of idol worshipers and decides to use that for his safety rather than what he has done often in the past, which is trust in God to deliver him. Yeah, and, and I think that shows us a little bit of the humanity of David, right? Lest we start to think yeah. that David is perfect, you know, of course he isn't. He has his own doubts, his own worries. He has the promises of God, and God has given him all of these assurances, even personal experiences that testify to the fact that Yahweh is with him. But still, I mean, when you're in the midst of danger and you're sick and tired of being on the run, you know, he I think he strategically thinks, well, Saul definitely doesn't want to uh, have to uh, seek me in enemy territory. He has his hands full enough fighting the Philistines on other fronts. So he heads in there. But what you bring up the other instance where David was pretending to be crazy. Well, uh, do they just forget that or or what? I mean, I, I think the king of the Philistines is always looking for opportunity. They were a pretty powerful nation, and they they were relatively wealthy. And that's because the king looks for he sees opportunities here. He thinks he has David over a barrel, and you know perhaps he believes his madness is over, or perhaps he believes that that David is still mad, but he's bringing this small army. And he's and he figures that if he's going to give David the king of Israel, and he knows that, uh, you know, shelter here, he's going to own him, and he's going to be able to control him. I mean, you're it's, right. It's and a power move on his part. Well, and it really is. So David is strengthened by his six hundred men, so he's not too worried about being personally attacked. At the same time. Hey, if the King Saul is looking at, <laughs> for David to kill him at every turn, he's mustering up all these forces just to get after this guy. Well, goodness, you know, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend then. So this yeah, guy, exactly. this guy, yeah. I can I can put him on my side. Um, so you're right. It's definitely a power move. And, and so David, really, though, both doubting, I believe, God's promise, despite really passing all these tests of faith with flying colors up to this point. He aligns himself with the enemy, but he, but we know, and we will know, that he really isn't. I mean, he's hiding out amongst the enemy, but he, he, he's never, like, on their side. Uh, and, and really it works, though, because in his heart, where it reveal, it's revealed to us that he's thinking, well, if I hide out with the Philistines, then he'll quit seeking me. 
And, well, verse 4 says, when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him, right? So it, it worked in a way. I mean, if, you know, our human machinations, you know, we're, we're not stupid. We can make plans, but those plans are not always, you know, there's an old Yiddish expression that man plans and God laughs. Um, <laughs> okay. David planning and God is, I don't know if he's laughing, but he's certainly is chagrined a bit by David sure. because this is not David's finest hour. This chapter 27 and we'll read further. David, it's not David's finest hour. He's not trusting God. He's running to his enemy. And, uh, he's seeking shelter among a nation of godless people. And he's, and you know, he's not, and he's going to essentially, as we will see, uh, be autonomous to some degree, but the king is going to figure that he's Israel's enemy. So he, as you said, he can be my friend because Philistines have always wanted to take out Israel. Right. I mean, you know, the the Philistines have been coming into this territory for quite a while, and Israel's a thorn in their sides. Uh, any kind of, uh, any sort of um, advantage they can get. Because they probably also know, through just rumor and intelligence, that there are a lot of people in Israel that are in David's favor. So, you know, if their enemy is Saul and they can get David on their side, who knows what they have planned. Well, let's add some verses to the conversation, just a couple, uh, because then, starting with verse 5, Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. So obviously there's a lot of detail that the Bible isn't revealing to us, things that aren't really necessary for us to know. But at some point he's convinced Achish to basically give him a town, the stronghold that he sets up in this little country town. And, and that's his base of operations for, uh, for the rest of uh, 1 Samuel anyway. Yeah, and he, and he it had to choke in his, in his it had, you know, it had to catch in his throat when he said, your servant. Uh, he's right. not, you know, he is God's servant, but now he's, is he lying? Is he manipulating? Is he that broken that he thinks he's the servant of Achish? Um, you know, it, it remains to be seen, but he's basically using this manipulation of this king to get at least, a, as you put it, a base of operations for really what becomes, uh, again, not David's finest hour. He just basically turns into a pirate. Um, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, he's, whole, he's got his own little militia going on. Yeah, and, he, and this whole business of it's not right for your servant to dwell in the royal city with the king, uh, that had to just, you know, that had to puff Achish up a bit. Sure. Well, which is why, I, I don't know if manipulative is the right word, perhaps it is, but at the very least, it's diplomatic, right? He's, I think of, I think of the you know, Augsburg Confession, right? You know, you know, August Emperor, we're referring to King Charles V. And it's, a, it's the same way here. He's, he's doing what you're supposed to do if you're trying to to get the favor of a king, right? Your servant, O king. And, oh, why should I? I don't want to live in, in your royal city because, well, if I did that, then that would be like me thinking I'm as good as you, and I'm certainly not. It's, 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 it's very diplomatic. Of course, what he wants, though, as we'll find out, is not to be under the close, watchful eye of the king. He wants one of these little country towns or a remote compound in which to establish his work because, well, he's he's going to be, I guess, a double agent, right? He's there uh, saying that he's the servant of the that king um, while running from the king of Israel, while being the anointed king of Israel all the time serving the true king Yahweh. So uh, a quadruple agent, maybe? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... I, I don't get, I don't know. You know, it's, I can't get into David's mind, obviously, and the scriptures, as you said, are pretty quiet about a lot of things. But it seems to me, because David, he sins in doing what he's going to do. And so the sin that he is 
in his discouragement causes him to sin, while at the same time he's benefiting Israel while lying to Achan, while, you know, basically being a pirate uh, for the other tribes and nations around there, um, killing women and men. And, I mean, we'll read the rest of that. But he I don't know what he is intending, but this is what he does. He basically turns into his own autonomous little region where he gives Achan the idea that he's attacking Judea, and he doesn't attack Judea, but he attacks Judea's enemies and, and gets all this plunder and spoil and kills everybody and uh, so that they can't talk about what he's doing, so word won't get back to Achan. I mean, it's just a very, uh, I mean, certainly, I always say, to, especially to boys, you should love to read the Bible. I don't mean the gender stereotype, but this is a thriller. And if you look at it, if you talk about what's going on here and look at the details in this, this is, uh, you know, this could be a great movie. Well, absolutely. I mean, David, has, I wonder if he's asking specifically for Ziklag. Again, it's not super clear, but Ziklag yeah. is, ends up being geographically on the southern, near, very near, the southern border of Israel. So it's very close to Beersheba, uh, a mm. town often used when they're talking about the, the all of the nation, right? So, so Beersheba is on this southernmost border of Israel. So he's, he's in a position where he can be very close to his home nation and also have a base of operations that is, is not very close to the royal city. And then verse yeah. 7, it says the number of days that David lived in the country was a year and four months. So um, talk about both those things, right? So we have Ziklag. He's, he's established himself geographically in a very good area. Um, and then he seems to be there for well, 18 months, quite a while. Oh, yeah. And, and again, he's just, uh, I mean, is he, is he just getting rich? What's, I, mean, what is, what, I mean, he certainly is weakening Israel's enemy by plundering them and killing all the people. Um, and But yet he's still lying to Achan, and, you know, he's killing all the people, so word doesn't get back to Achan that he's not attacking Judea when he's telling Achan, I'm attacking Judea. So, I mean, it, it's a very, uh, you're, you're, you know, double agent, triple It's It's definitely a very... Uh, um, manipulative and, and strategic thing that he's doing, but it's all about him. There's no talk in this whole section about his going, his talking to God. Mm. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit. So, you know, David is hiding amongst his enemies. He's being deceptive or diplomatic. He's uh, trying to establish either uh, an area where he can continue to fight the enemies of Israel while not living in Israel, but at the same time, he's going to be lying about who he's fighting because they're going to think he's fighting Israel. Um, this conversation has come up time and again as we look at some of the ways that God's people act in the Old Testament. Where do we see, is this just a flat-out sin? What should David have done? Should he just have stayed in Israel, continuing to run from Saul? Should he have submitted to Saul's desire to to uh, kill him, since he is the anointed, Saul is? Um, or, you know, is the deception um, okay? Is it not a violation of, of God's will because it's for a good cause? How do we reconcile when we see these types of things happening? And how many times have we said, well, I can justify what I'm doing because the ends justify the means. Um, and, you know, maybe David's thinking that. I don't know if that's ever right. I mean, what should he have done initially was, first of all, there's just weird between 26 and 27. He, he comes off victorious because of God's grace. And then in his depression or whatever he's going through, he decides he can't keep doing this. And does. And again, there's none. I, I, I read this a little while ago, but I don't think there's any mention of him even talking to God in chapter 27. I mean, what he should have done was kept doing what he was doing, persevere in the Lord. The Lord had already given him his anointing. 
the Lord had given him his his future. He knew what was planning. I mean, he even said in 26, you know, Saul is either going to die or the Lord is going to change his heart or Lord, you know, uh, but but he decided to take it upon himself to, to get himself out of whatever whatever predicament he was discouraged about. And uh, I just I just don't. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say to you that I've never deceived for the better good in my own mind, right? But I just don't think that's ever right. And I can't, I can't think that David is right here either. I mean, I think that's interesting. You know, I, I've asked this when this has come up. I've asked other guests, you know, what their perspective is. Sometimes we bring up these really extreme situations, like is it lawful to deceive? Um, you know, Nazis looking for yeah, <laughs> Anne Frank's yeah, family. Von Hafer wrestled with that very same thing, yeah. Right. So so it's tough. It's tough. And, and I think it also reveals to us, though, that we live in a world that's beset by sin and things are not black and white. Yeah. But is, is, is God's law black and white? And, and sometimes I think, well, maybe not. Maybe it, it's, it's not that you can try to justify your sins— because really everything we do is is tainted by sin. But at the same time, I, I, there are, as it applies to our neighbor, different levels of sin. So we talk about like the two kinds of righteousness, a righteousness before God, the vertical righteousness, and that horizontal righteousness between with our relationship with other people. So every sin is condemn, condemnable before God, the smallest white lie all the way up to the most egregious fraud. Um, Jesus says, you know, if you if you are angry with your brother without cause in your heart, then you're you know, you're you're guilty of murder. But at the same time, as your relationship with your neighbor, your brother would much rather you just be angry with him than murder him. So it does have different levels of the right. way our sins affect our neighbor. And I, I think the difference here between like Bonhoeffer and David in this case. Is that in Bonhoeffer's writings, you see him wrestling with that reality all the time. I mean, I don't know if it's just an omission. On, you know, it's just something when is David. But again, I, I'm struck in this chapter where David doesn't seem to be even consulting God on any of this stuff. Well, that's true. That's true. And I don't know if that's just because of the, the, the brevity of the chapter or the right. fact that you're, you're absolutely right. He's just sort of giving in to, giving in to this fear that, that, that Saul is going to get him. You know, he's just sick of being on the run. Um, and, and, he, you know, and he, you know, he is defending Israel to some degree. He's, he's, he's saying, well, you know, eventually I'm going to be king here, so I need to get rid of these enemies. I don't know. But, I mean, is that... I just struggle with the fact that he's just not even wrestling at all with with God or even going to God to seek counsel on all this. Now, he, that's not to say he doesn't. You know, again, right. we can't argue from silence. But, I mean, there's so many opportunities in David's life where the Scriptures tell us that he turned to the Lord. He turned to the Lord. He seeks his counsel. He seeks his wisdom. Uh, and here he just seems, it seems because his heart, and how many times does our heart betray us? You know, I hate the phrase, the heart wants what the heart wants, because what <laughs> right. that often is is just a justification for sin, often even adultery in, in the cases of people saying that. But um, it's just, I, That's I right. struggle. Follow your, follow your heart, as they say, or, you know, right, what does yeah. your heart tell you is right? <laughs> and it's like, well, my heart's and, telling me know, that I should go off and sin. Exactly. Yeah, this month the phrase is love is love, you know, so that's right. That's where that whole thing comes from is the heart wants what the heart wants. And we just have to accept it because that's what it is. Well, and this is a minor point, but in verse seven, it tells us that the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year in four months. Um, as people may or may not know, you know, we have some variants in some of the ancient manuscripts. Um, some, uh, the, the, you know, the Masoretic text says that David was among them a year and four months, which is the, probably the right number. It's the one that the ESV, uh, translates it with. Uh, but the Septuagint indicates the time was only four months. Um, any mm. thoughts at all yeah. about that? I, I don't know if it's even significant. 
Um, I, you know, I don't know. I've tried to play the whole Gamatria thing with 16 months with, you know, what, what, what is the going on here? I just think that it's, you know, and, and, you know, when the, when the scriptures give us detail, it's, it's always useful to consider the detail, but I just couldn't come up with anything other than it's a long time. And I think the Septuagint is probably a mistranslation because I, I would go with the year and four months, which means that David spent a long time apparently doing what his heart wanted. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, you know, you think we, we, and we know David's not perfect. You know, we know what's coming up, but uh, I read a commentary somewhere along the way. I don't remember when or, but it made them point that in this period of time, this year and four months, David wrote no Psalms. Uh, there was nothing. Yeah. There was no Psalms written that they could attach to this period of time. Um, he and somebody said uh, the fact that he picked up new instrumentation in Gath is where the for the Gittith comes from in the Psalm Appellate, you know, uh, in the instructions of the Psalms. But he didn't write any Psalms here, and Psalms are, I mean, he is the the poet, musician, shepherd, king, anointed by God, and he's not doing anything except being a pirate. I just don't know if that's right a good. David. Well, some stuff for us to think about. I think it might be a good time, though, for us to just take a break before we read the rest of our chapter. But folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, uh, Pastor Parvis and I will keep on going. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Kevin Parvis, pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Folks, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I do pray that God's blessing you through our study. Remember that Thy Strong Word can be heard in St. Louis on AM850, and you can also listen live or on demand at kfuo.org. And if you like taking the show on the road, there's no better way to do it than with KFUO's own mobile app. Just search for that in your app store, your Play Store. You can also subscribe to the show as a podcast on whatever podcasting platform you want to use. And as always, you can reach out to me with your questions, or I can just love to hear your feedback. Just email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. You can just search my name, drop by, say hello. So just thank you so much for listening with us today. We're in chapter 8, which describes this period in David's life when he's living among the Philistines to escape Saul's deadly pursuit. And it's a it's a turning point in David's story. It highlights his struggle, it, it, his, his compromise that he's making as he tries to protect himself and his men. And Pastor Parvis and I, we've been deliberating on whether this is a, a, a sinful flaw in David or or what. But but now the, the, the tone shifts a little bit in our text. Brother, getting back to the text, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter because now it's telling us what David is doing while he and his men are hanging out in Ziklag, which is that country town that Achish, the king of Gath, has given him. So starting with verse 8 through 12. 
Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites and the Girizites and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old as far as Shur to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, Where have you made a raid today? David would say, Oh, against the Negeb of Judah, or against the Negeb of the Jeremelites, or against the Negeb of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, So David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, He has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So, you know, we've been jumping into this already in our conversation, what David's doing in Ziklag, right? He's making these raids, but but these raids, they're, they're against people whom God has already given the Israelites the commission to do away with, right? Well, that's true. But is he doing it for that purpose or for his purpose? I don't know. I mean, I always, you know, and, and I, as I talk with Jewish people, one of the things that a lot of Jewish people, they really struggle over, um, over, uh, uh, looks like we may have lost you. Um, <laughs> so I tell you what, I'll, I'll keep on going here. So, you know, we have, uh, these ancient inhabitants and I'm really interested in hearing what our guest has to say about what Jewish people say. So, uh, hopefully we'll get him back real soon. Uh, but yeah, these ancient inhabitants, um, of the land that God has commanded to be exterminated by Israel are the people he's attacking. I mean, as our guest says, you know, is he doing it for his own desires is he doing it because, well, as the king or future king or current, you know, king in exile of Israel, he has this duty to exercise judgment on the on these people, um, or is it a little bit of both? But you know, we have to understand that they are not allies of the Philistines, right? They're their enemies, especially right. the. Right, especially the Amalekites. Um, so, um, you know, they're living on the south of Judah. They're raided by the Israelite territories. So it seems like he's doing a little bit of both. Um, before, I think we got a little disconnected here. Tell us a little bit. Now, you were saying that Jewish people sometimes struggle with this. Well, one, one of the things that I often hear in struggling with, with texts like this in the Hebrew Scriptures uh, is the, 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 I guess, the anger of God against sin by telling the the Israelites to go in and kill all the people, but also the animals, which you notice that David does not do here. Uh, I mean, the, the charge they have coming out of Exodus was to cleanse the land of everything that was living in that land that was an idol worshiper or even potentially an idol. Um, and I think it's interesting here that, you know, you say that David does have a charge to do cleanse that land, but he's only do doing it part way if you want to go that route because he's not killing sure. the animals. Sure. He's bringing the animals back, so he just seems to be acting like a pirate to me and, you know, killing everybody and grabbing all the plunder and taking it back to Ziklag. Yeah, and I think that's where it's sort of this strange compromise that we've already been seeing with David's behavior here, because in a way he is serving the the uh, king uh, of Gath. He's serving Achish because the people he's attacking are indeed enemies of the Philistines, so they are benefiting. But of course, then he deceives him about his true targets, so he's he's serving the Israelites by following after, at least in part, the command that they be laid waste, right? Vayashish, I think is the word. So to devastate this land. Uh, at the same time, he's only partially fulfilling that because he has to bring something back to Akish to be proof of his raids. So he does, <laughs> I guess at the very least, the, the only thing we can say for certain is that he is uh, 
playing both sides. He he's 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 benefiting Israel. He's benefiting Akish, even though he's not being honest about it to either one of them. And the whole while he's doing this so that he can maintain his presence in the enemy territory so that Saul won't seek him. So, yeah, it definitely sounds like he's playing 4D chess, as we might say, uh, whether or not he's doing that in a godly way, of course, is up for debate. I love the the phrase 4D chess because that's kind of tying, too. I could play that. But, yeah, yeah, he's also doing this to benefit himself. We also need to know that. So, um, you know, it just seems, and again, I, I just think it's a striking omission here that David never consults the heart of God. And again, if the commentator, I don't remember if it was rabbinic or if it was, I don't remember the commentary. I read it and I noted it somewhere in the back of my feeble brain. But if they're right that there's no psalm that you can attach to this year and four month period of David's life, which is what he does to when he, you know, he's psalms of forgiveness, psalms of repentance, psalms of joy. So, I mean, he's just forgetting about his actual call here. And, yeah, he's being a great um, military strategist, I suppose, would be the way to put it. But I just don't know if that's always the best. Well, sure. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about how he's doing away with the men and women, everybody, except for the animals. Um, so how that sort of incompletes God's charge for the Israelites. But then it also gives us in this text his motivation for that. And to be fair, it doesn't say that his motivation is ful- to fulfill God's will. It says his motivation is so that they can't find their way back to Akish and tell him who he's really yeah. plundering. And, and they don't have the same communication abilities we have, so it's not as though... Um, there's a scout who's going to notice, oh, by the way, there's this big raid here, and they're going to put all that together, at least not for a while. So David's deception is against both of God and Achish. Go ahead. Yeah, if I was was the king of the Philistines, who loves having slaves, by the way, and, you know, military triumph over, over enemies usually includes the collection of good slaves, um... I'd be wondering why there's no slaves coming back. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I, I suppose that he's bringing these animals at least to appease him. But we also see David's reaching pretty far. Uh, you know, his his reach in terms of these raids with these 600 men, I don't know if it's growing over time or not. I suspect it is. It, 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 he's actually getting a lot done, though. It's sort of a SEAL Team 600 here. He's going out, and he is making all of these decisive attacks, um, and uh, he's, he's getting the work done. I mean, you can't, you can't deny that. But, I, but I'm thinking back yep. to what you said earlier about how he, he knows psalms being written during this time, and I think that's kind of fascinating because he's, he's, he's busy. Yeah, and we also need to remember that Ziklag is not just dating 600 months. He came with their house. He's got, you know, the, and so this is all on Ziklag. And, and one, you know, they're, they, they're supported, too, by these raids. Sure, sure. And, and all the while, though, you know, he, David's making a name for himself. You know, we're going to be hearing later in Second Samuel about how David is making a name for himself with his military victories against the enemies of Israel. But here he's making a name for himself. But in the in the mind of Achish, the king of Gath, this is building up trust, which is going to come in handy because, you know, it says flat out, uh, Achish says he has made himself an utter stench to his people, Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So I I think that David's motivation is really laid on display here. He is trying to get into the good graces of of Achish. Um, But why, again, we don't really find out 100% until later. But but part of it, at the very least, is so that he can maintain his 
ability to live in Ziklag, not have the armies of Akish come up against him. He can avoid the uh, punishment that he's <laughs> sure is coming to him from Saul, even though he doesn't deserve it, even though God has promised him that he will prevail. So this is a bad time in, in David's life. I, I'm starting to agree with your assessment earlier. And I do think it's an interesting book end in this chapter, because at the end, um, Achish says, now he will always be my servant. And at the beginning, David plants that seed. Ah, your servant shouldn't right. live here. And, uh, and I, I just think that's an interesting bookend, too, to this chapter. Right. So, you know, these Geshurites, the Jerusites or Gerasites, the Amalekites, you know, it's, it's talking about them as the inhabitants of the land from old. Um, I, I think not only is that talking to us about how, well, these are people who God has ordered the Israelites to remove so that they can inhabit the land, uh, but also these, these people are really just buried in here. Uh, David's ability to go out and attack these people doesn't constitute outright war with them. I don't think that he would have the ability to maintain such a thing. So it's not like he's wiping these people out. He's just sort of doing these strategic raids. And so I think that explains a little bit why you were earlier talking about him being like a pirate, uh, you know, a mercenary. It, it, so he's not going in. He's wiping out towns, but he's not wiping out the peoples. Could you talk a little uh -huh. bit more about what David is actually doing uh, while he's hanging out here? Well, I, mean, I just I, what he seems to be doing is making these geographic raids on neighboring tribes and killing all the human beings so that there's no word of mouth, but taking all the plunder. And, and it doesn't actually say that he's presenting it to Achish in this chapter anyway. And uh, one would argue that this is evidence of his work, but I think he's profiting by this as well. And again, I, I do think this chapter is uh, its ominously silent of the name of God in this chapter, which gives me the impression that this is not David's finest hour. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, we have David. He's always been, you know, a man after God's own heart. He's he's searching God's will. It's put him in a complete contrast, uh, contrasting relationship with with Saul, who just really wants to do his own. I mean, is this evidence about how we can all, despite how faithful we want to be to the Lord, we can all succumb to the fear? Because what is the fear that's at play here? It's the fear of death. You know, yeah. it's that great enemy. David is worried. It begins with, I'm going to die one day by the hand of Saul. Um, and there's even nothing better for me that I should escape. Yeah, even though God had promised him that he would not die at the hand of Saul. Um, so what's, I mean, it, so I think he, he's just, and, and how many of us have not been there? And honestly, I hate to keep bringing this up because I'm kind of tired of hearing about it too. But it is a reality, and I, I know we have to deal with it. Um, you know, coming out of the pandemic, there's an entire fear of culture that we've inherited. Uh, and we all, you know, there's the preppers, there's, you know, all this idiocy that's going on in the world today, not to mention the mental illness and the depression that seems to be rampant, especially with all the shootings that we've been experiencing we live in a, in, a, in a constant state of fear. And, and the reality is that we can't, if we indulge that state of fear, then we're going to be just like David and we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll collect an arsenal. And, and I'm not, you know, be prepared. I'm not going to condemn anybody, but the trust, trust in God is what's most important. And we have to recognize that we live in a foreign land. I, somebody said in confirmation class the other day that we are God's ambassadors to this nation. Um, we are the ones appointed to be representatives from the kingdom that we actually live in, which is the kingdom of God. Um, and, and all of this is the kingdom of God, and we can go into two kingdom theology. But the reality is we, we live here in this right, in this left-hand kingdom, 
recognizing that we are amongst those who are the foreigners. And we can do, we can be emissaries or ambassadors of God, or we can just kind of use our own reason and survive as best we can. And that just seems to me that David is kind of surviving as best he can here. Well, you know, and, and, and we can just as easily justify our behavior because we think we're doing God's work here when God's work here is simply to tell people about God, and David's not doing that. So, you know, I, I, that's a challenge for us in our, in our cultural zeitgeist, uh, and I think that's the challenge that David is walking through. Well, fear can lead us to make decisions or to do things that are very short-sighted, right? We, we make these strategies, we make these programs, we make these plans for ourselves even. Um, and so whether it's at church where we're afraid of declining attendance, so we do all these things that are contrary to God's will, or in our personal lives, we're afraid of losing a friendship, so therefore we uh, will not mention God or something like that. Or even as you're talking about, we're afraid of of that great enemy, death, which Christ has already defeated, and yet it causes us to behave in ways that are contrary to God's will. And so yeah. I, I agree with you. We see David's his his deceiving, right? He's really sinning against God, but in a way he's sinning against, sinning against Achish too. And even though Achish is certainly an enemy, he's still lying he and deceiving him. Yeah. And it's a faithless strategy, right? So he doesn't trust God to deliver him from Saul. He doesn't trust God to provide for him in Israel. It seems like, at least for a moment, he forgets God's promises of all of those past deliverances. He doubts God's power and sovereignty. And he's relying on his own wisdom and his own cunning rather than what's been working, which is God's guidance and protection. So when, yeah. when, when any of us follow our own fears and desires rather than God's will and commands, well, we end up like David, right? He's endangering his reputation, his influence as a leader of God's people. What must his 600 followers thought, you know, the men that are under his command? I mean, perhaps they just like getting a, a portion of the, of the booty that they're getting from these raids, from these pirate raids, as you said. But... But isn't that tarnishing his character, dishonoring God's name, and really weakening his authority? Because there's going to be a time when he's going to be king of Israel, you know, and, and will his men be faithful to him, or will they be following after their own wisdom and cunning? Yeah, because they, you know, they can actually say, well, remember when he was over in Gath and we were with him and all he did was kill people? Uh, I mean— it is it is a challenge, and keep in mind he's not just leading six hundred down the primrose path. It's all their families and his wives. Um, right. So I, I I do think, and and honestly, our fearful plans will work out for a time, perhaps maybe a year and four months. I don't know, but think about. It. I mean, I still probably have water in the basement from Y two K. So you know, there's all. There are always these these crazy events that come up in the life of this kingdom that we live in that is so broken by sin, and we try instead. You know, again, I'm not complaining about preparing. I'm just saying our first first duty is to is to tell tell people about Jesus and trust in God. And then, by all means, our own reason can come into play somewhat. But uh, I just don't. I just think that. David has forgotten the two, telling people about the sovereignty of God and following him and then using his own reason. Yeah, I, I agree, too. You know, we, we have David as this example of faith, and now we have David as an example of what it looks like to misplace that faith away from God and in your own wisdom and strength. And, and you know, so not to jump too far ahead— but, you know, tomorrow we're going to talk about Saul, really, seeking out the Witch of Endor. It should be a great program. Yeah. But then oh. Thursday, we're going to talk about how um, David is uh, rejected by the Philistines. You know, the Philistines kind of catch on. The king doesn't, but the Philistines catch on. They realize that this David and his men, I don't know if we want to go to battle with him. So his short-sighted plan is just that, short-sighted. There is coming soon a time 
when even the people who he's hiding out amongst see through it. And now they're rejecting him. God's uh, king who's currently in power, Saul, has rejected him. And he's going to find himself as a, a man without a home, right? A king without a nation. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, again, the lesson for us is, by all means, trust God, do his work. And then, you know, our reason can then come into play as what the challenges that the world presents to us. Absolutely. Well, anything else we should learn from this chapter or anything else you want the folks to know? I just think that we understand, as you put it in the very beginning, that David is uh, a man and nothing more. And uh, yes, anointed by God, but uh, the challenge is, of course, that uh, he sins and, you know, his most famous sin is still coming. But um, um, sin is sin, and it's, it always it plagues every one of us. And, and all we can do is get down on our knees and confess. And, you know, David will do this. Amen to that, brother. Well, folks, I tell you what, you know, I think that what we are learning here is that when God gives you and reveals to you his will, and when he demonstrates his faithfulness to his promises, as he did with David, as of course he's done for us through Christ, then even though your own reason, even though your own strength is telling you, no, 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 even when the enemy is whispering in your ear, oh, no, 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 you you better follow after your, your own plans, or you need to help out God, or you need to sin boldly because that's what's going to save you, um, we should remember that God is faithful. God keeps his promises. He has given us every reason to, uh, to put our faith, hope, and trust in Him. And this morning, I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Kevin Parvis, pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. My privilege. And have a blessed day. You too, brother. And folks, join us tomorrow when in a moment of crisis, David faces a dilemma. So he's going to be made to uh, uh, fight with the Philistines against his own people. And, and, and that's not going to really be hashed out till Thursday. But meanwhile, Saul's forces are going to war and, well, he faces a dead end. God isn't talking to him anymore. What will King Saul do? Well, he turns to a forbidden source of guidance, the witch of Endor, also known as the medium of Endor. You know, Saul is cast out. He's made illegal, according to God's will, all the mediums and necromancers, yet now he needs the help of one, or thinks he does. So he summons a spirit through the witch of Endor, the spirit of Samuel, and he hears from Samuel a terrifying message from beyond the grave. Wow, lots to talk about tomorrow. We're going to do that tomorrow as we move into chapter 28. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.